ಭದ್ರಂ ಕರ್ಣೇಭ್ಯಸೃಣುಯಾಮದೇವಾ ಭದ್ರಂ ಪಶ್ಯೇಮಾಕ್ಷಭೀರ್ಯತ್ರೈರಂಗೈಸ್ತುಷ್ಟುವಾಗಂಸ್ತನೂಭಿ ವ್ಯಷೇಮೇವಹಿತಯದಾಯು ಸ್ವಸ್ತಿ ನ ಇಂದ್ರೋ ವೃದ್ಧಸ್ರವಾ ಸ್ವಸ್ತಿ ನ ಪೂಷಾ ವಿಶ್ವೇದಸ್ತೀರ್ಣಸ್ತಾಕ್ಷರಿಷ್ಟನೇಮಿ ಸ್ವಸ್ತಿ ನೋ ಬೃಹಸ್ಪತಿರ್ದಾತು ಓಂ ಶಾಂತ ಶಾಂತ may we hear with our ears what is auspicious may we see with our eyes what is auspicious while praying with steady limbs may we attain the life span allotted to us may indra bestow well-being on us may pushan the god of the earth who is all knowing bestow well-being on us may garuda the destroyer of evil bestow well-being on us may brihaspati also vespro the well-being on us om shanti 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 so in the last class we were studying the fifth mantra of the first chapter of the first part of mundaka upanishad where we found that angirasa the rishi angirasa being asked by shonaka that what's that by knowing which everything is known kasminnu bhagavo vigyate sarvam idam vigyatam bhavatiti we find the reply is not something direct he is indicating that there are two types of knowledge the lower knowledge the higher knowledge apara para apara the lower knowledge para the higher knowledge what it means that all the academic knowledge all the knowledge in those days which were prevalent all were included as the lower knowledge anything which i have to conceive through my mind and senses is all apara vidya and what's the para as has been indicated in this fifth mantra which we are going to study today is tat aksharam adhigamyate that's the uh, paravidya the high higher knowledge by which the absolute reality the aksharam that which is imperishable is known so the immortal the imperishable is known that no, that vidya is paravidya and as we saw that in those days days what all the knowledge was available were the vedas and the auxiliaries to the vedas this rig yaju shama atharva the four vedas and the auxiliaries the shiksha kalpo vyakarana nirukta chanda jyotisha shiksha is the science of pronunciation as we were discussing in the last class kalpo this kalpo is the science of rituals vyakarana the grammar nirukta the etymological meaning of words chanda the various meters used for rhyming 
and the Jyotisha, the astrology, to calculate the exact times of various yajnas. So these are the ancillaries, the auxiliaries, which has to be studied along with the Vedas to make the study of the Vedas fruitful. So this speaks of the secular knowledge. But what is that higher knowledge that we are going to discuss today? This Athapara Yaya Tat Aksharam Adhigamyate. So this higher knowledge is something by which the imperishable, the eternal reality, the immortal reality is known. That as we have again and again indicated that behind this limited existence, there is something within us which speaks of the spiritual dimension of our existence, which is eternal, which is Sat Chit Ananda Swarupa. This Sat Chit Ananda are not the attributes of the Absolute. They're actually the negation of the limited idea of our individuality, which we have. Sat means that which is Trikal Avadhita, whose existence can never be interrupted by any phase of time, past, present, future. It was, it is, it will be through eternity. And that Sat is Chit Swarupa. That is not matter. That is intelligent. That is the conscious principle. That is a Chit. And that Chit Swarupa again is Ananda Swarupa. It's not the consciousness which is in the dualities, in the zone of the dualities of pleasure and pain. It is something which is an eternal bliss. And this, the real nature, the Sat Chit Ananda Swarupa is the Aksharam which has been spoken of in this mantra. And that is something which is not a mere matter of belief. It can be realized. And this realization is something which has been spoken of as the higher knowledge, which transcends the Vedas. It is something even beyond the Vedas. That's something very interesting, which we indicated in the last class, that in the lower knowledge, all the Vedas has been mentioned. The four Vedas are a part of the lower knowledge. So this knowledge of the Absolute is not included in the Vedas. It is something which transcends the Vedas. And now you may say that why the Upanishads are there, which speaks of the Atman, the Brahman. Is it not speaking of the Absolute Reality? So again, the Vedas are the scriptures which are profound enough to declare that when I speak of Atman, when I speak of Brahman, they are just mere words. In Mundaka Upanishad, in one of the place, is the one who has a realized soul. The characteristic of a realized soul has been described by the word Nativadi. Nativadi. Means when we are speaking of Atman, Brahman, what is what we are doing, we are resorting to Ativada. What does Ativada means? Ativada. We are speaking something which transcends our realization. Vada means speech. Ati means to transcend. I have not realized. It is just mere words for me. Na Ativada. 
is a negation of ativada the realized soul doesn't speak a single word which transcends their realization they have realized the truth and that realization is something which you cannot find in the vedas it is something very subjective the vedas may be the indicators they may show the path but at last we have to realize that reality in our life each and every one has to do it for himself or herself no one else can do it for him or her as shankaracharya very sharply poignantly points out that if you are hungry by taking by me taking food doesn't appease your hunger my taking food in no way can appease your hunger so the realization is something like that if some prophet has realized that doesn't enter my realization just mere belief doesn't enter in realization so vedas are the scriptures which affirms to the fact that the prophet's soul is in every one of us each has the potentiality to go to that realization if the realization is restricted only to the prophets then that has no utility in our life why should i just mere believe something which i have no capacity to realize as in a very in a modern uh, world we find that the patenting of medicine that how can i say that a medicine works for all if first before it comes to the market it has to be patented how first it has to be experimented within a group of people if it works for only 1% or 2% of the population on which the experiment has been done that medication has no efficacy it has to be 99% uh, effective on all those that experiment has been done then only it can be patented so how can the spiritual knowledge be patented if it was just possible for those few prophets and it is not possible for all of us it's useless is of no use so the vedas are the scriptures which affirm to the fact confirm to the fact the potent that the potentiality to realize is in all of us we can do that and when we do that we have transcended the vedas vedas have shown us the way but it is we who have to work out so that we can realize the truth to give a common example which we gave again and again in various context that vedas are like a literature which describes the taste of mango you have read it and by reading you think you are very well versed about the taste of mango you are a knowledgeable person about the taste of mango you may go on discussing about it delivering lecture on the taste of mango but the day you taste the mango then you realize all those knowledge was of no use it was mere words in no way it can equate the realization it can in any way be at par with the realization the moment you taste the mango that subjective feeling alone is the proof of the fact that yes you know the taste of mango rest all is ativada is just mere words which transcends your realization so this mere intellectual knowledge is of no use that the vedas are again and again asserting that in spiritual life 
intellectual knowledge has a place. But when I am resorting to the scripture at the beginning, I have to hear it. After hearing, I will find that there is a lot of gap in my understanding. But instead of just challenging the truth by saying these are all of no use, these are a nonsense, we should be humble enough to accept the fact that it is my lack of understanding. The scriptures, the realized soul, what they have spoken of is authentic. Just the way if I don't understand the scientific discoveries of a science that doesn't entail that they are useless, they are authentic. My intellectuality is not up to that level to understand it, but through sraddha, through respect, I believe. I say, oh yeah, these are the scientists, they must be true. In the spiritual world also, these rishis are the scientists. They have discovered the realm of spirituality. And from there, with full authenticity, what they are saying is truth. With that sraddha, I have to do manana. That yes, I have just the way in our academic study, we do manana. After hearing from the professor, we go on cogitating again and again, again and again, till we understand the principle. If we have just at the beginning had doubt about the efficacy of the principle, the correctness of the principle, there was no question of cogitating upon it. I had that belief that it is true. Somehow there is a lack of understanding. I have to try again and again to contemplate on those words till I get a conviction, an intellectual conviction. Yes, what's being told, now I understand. The same thing with the scriptures we have to do. After Sravana, that Manana has to go on. I have to cogitate upon it again and again till a, the cobwebs in the words of Swami Vivekananda, that why should we study the Upanishads? It cannot entail realization, but what it can do, it can remove the cobwebs of my mind. It can clarify my intellect. I, will get, I can get an intellectual uh, understanding of the truth which has been spoken. But that's not all. It doesn't enter, it is just intellectual knowledge that doesn't enter realization. The realization comes through Nididhyasana. Now this intellectual conviction which you have, now you have to contemplate on it repeatedly, again and again. This repeated contemplation on this intellectual conviction is Nididhyasana. That will take you to the realization. Till that happens, we may feel that we have a clear understanding of the truth. And with that, with equipped with that, we can face the challenges of life. But we find that when we are really in the challenges of life, in the ups and downs of life, that knowledge is in no way helping us. Because it's a mere intellectual knowledge. The story of the stag, which we have repeated so many times, is a wonderful story which Swami Vivekananda is relating. That a stag, a male deer, was one day seeing his own reflection in the waters. And seeing his strong limbs, he was bragging to the fawn, the young one. See how strong I am, how well built I am. And suddenly, they even couldn't cease. From nowhere, they heard the barking of a dog. And the stag started running frantically. It was 
terrified. He was running frantically after a long distance when the stag was sure that it is out of danger. It stopped, but it was gasping for breath. And the fawn which followed him, he was surprised. He asked just now, you were so confident about your strength. What happened? What made you so frightened to, to get so much frightened? And the stag replied, I don't know what happens to my confidence the moment I hear the barking of the dog. So that speaks of the need of Nididhyasana leading to the realization. If you have not gone to the realization, then this intellectual knowledge is of no avail. This we try to understand even with the help of the, the stories of two, two stories uh, of watching movie. The first story goes like this, that the child was going to watch the movie in a village theater for the first time along with his father. And the father was explaining as it was for the first time the child is going to watch the movie. The father was explaining that what movie is. That when you go to the hall, the hall will be dark. And through the projector, the pictures, the pictures will be projected on a screen, on a white screen. And those light will, as if got enlivened, will get enlivened. And you will find the real characters being depicted on the screen. They will appear to be alive. Now, by the time they reach the hall, the movie has already started. They were with delayed. So somehow they managed to go to the seat. They managed to go and sit in their seat side by side. Now the son was perplexed. His father has already mentioned about the screen. Now where is the screen? He asked his father, where is the screen? The father pointed in front where the movie was going on. Now he saw all the characters there. The scene of Mahabharata was being played. Krishna instructing Arjuna, sitting on the chariot. That's what he saw. As father pointed to the screen, the child thought the Krishna to be the screen. He asked, is Krishna the screen? No, it's just behind, behind him. Oh, then Arjuna was probably the screen. The father was really, he found it very difficult to explain. He told, no, 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 it is just behind. The chariot, oh, no son, it is not the chariot. The entire battlefield, which is being visible in the background, the sky, the father couldn't explain. The child was asking one by one, what's that behind? And then the interval came. In the intermission, there was no projection. The screen was now visible. And after the intermission, again, the movie started. Now there was no need for the father to explain that what the screen is. So this interval is the thing which speaks of the realization or the projection of the mind has to stop. All our spiritual practices are directed towards the chitta vritti nirodha, the stopping of the projection of the mind. When you see the screen, the one on which the mind's pictures are projected, the real nature, the Atman, the screen becomes visible. And then you know everything is projection. After that, the movie may continue. Now there won't be the need for anyone to explain that what the screen is. Words will be of no use. But till I have realized the screen, the words have no meaning. Another person who have heard that the movie is a projection on the screen, hearing that went to watch the movie and sat in the front seat, 
and the scene was different it was some <clears throat> national geographic movie where documentary where uh, this what you say a rhinoceros was chasing and this man who was sitting in the front seat was so terrified he started running towards the exit the others got disturbed told, why are you running he told they don't you see that the rhinoceros is chasing they told it's a movie it's just a mere projection the man was wise enough to respond very wisely what's the wise response well you are intelligent enough to understand that it is a projection i am also intelligent enough to understand it is a projection but the rhinoceros won't understand he won't understand and that's what happens with our vedanta study we hear the vedanta contemplate on vedanta and when we face the challenges of life we say these are the persons who don't understand vedanta they are like the wild rhino they don't understand the vedanta and i have i am chased i have to run and that's how we run around not realizing what actually the projection is so it's all become mere words till the realization happens we go on blaming the world taking it to be real though we are saying we know what projection is so that speaks of ativada so vedas are the scriptures which are bold enough to declare yes it's not by mere believing in the words what is written that has to be realized you have to go beyond the words and that's the work thing which has been spoken of as the Uh, this para vidya tatha atha para yaya tat aksharam adhigamyate till then everything is like shabda jala is a forest of words we, unless we have realized and we get somehow obsessed with the intricacies of the scriptural knowledge we get lost in the forest of nimesh of words that's what in viveka churamani shankaracharya says shabda jalam maharanyam chitta bhramana karanam so many instead of trying to go to the realization goes on throughout their life in useless discussion analytic discussion about the real nature of the self and that creates a mesh of words and that in in turn creates a huge forest where your chitta your mind gets is just wanders about it lost it gets it gets lost it in no way finds the way out of that forest shabda jalam maharanyam chitta bhramana karanam these are the ideas even in the upanishad it's mentioned in chandogya upanishad we find narada as an aspirant is has gone to sanat kumar another a rishi a realized soul narada was extremely disturbed so sanat kumar asked that you are so well versed in the scriptures what makes you so much disturbed that it what makes you so depressed his answer was very poignant what he told is in chandogya upanishad what's that so aham bhagavo mantravit eva asmi na atmavit 
the cause for my distress is i am mantravit i have learned by heart the mantras na atmavit but i have not i have still yet to realize the atman i am not atmavit so aham bhagavo mantravit i am mantravit yes what you tell is correct i know the scriptures so hum bhagavo mantravit eva asmi na atmavit so here we find the vedas the upanishads itself is indicating that we have to go beyond the words we have to be get be established in realization and then only we can be established in paravidya so in order to attain that higher knowledge so what is the process a student has to who has mastered the words of the scriptures must go to a qualified preceptor yes the study of the scripture is needed to get an idea of it but then you should go to a qualified preceptor a teacher and cultivate all the spiritual disciplines as are being prescribed like discrimination renunciation viveka vairagya samadhamadi shat sampatti mukshutvam which we have already discussed unless he has gone through that process and went to the realization that all the spiritual teachings is of no avail so this for the spiritual teaching to really fructify into realization needs a qualified teacher under whom a qualified student the student also has to be qualified undertakes the required training the spiritual training just as in academic course for any higher course you need a qualified teacher and for that course a student should be sufficiently qualified to resort to that course so both the quality of the teacher and the quality of the student both are required so here also we find that the scripture indicates that the teacher should be qualified so who is a qualified teacher the one who is having this four qualities what are that shrotriya akamahata avrijina and brahmavid shrotriya he was be well versed in the scriptures he should know the essence of the scripture like a paramahamsa after studying the scripture he should be able to take out the essence out of it that there is a saying that a paramahamsa this great swan this mythological swan what has it has a characteristic if you mix water if you dilute the milk with water it can just drink the milk and leave out the water so shrotriya indicates that the one who has read the scriptures and not got lost in the intricacies of it in the analytic analytical study of it he has the capacity to take the essence out of it so he should be a shrotriya he should be akamahata he shouldn't have any selfish desire of name fame monetary gains for which he is going to teach others so all the selfish desire shouldn't be there his uh, motivation for teaching others should be ahaituki without any personal gain just out of compassion so it's akamahata it should be avrijinah he should have already been purified that he shouldn't be tainted by the desires anymore the sensual desires because if the world is a mere projection it is not supposed to attract him 
if he's speaking of the ultimate truth, at the same time we find he's still involved with the sensed pleasures of life. We can be sure of the fact that he is yet to go to that realization. Because as we told, that realization entails spontaneous renunciation. That example of Swami Vivekananda, which we give again and again, that speaks that how we become a virgina. When once we go to the realization, how? That he's that Swamiji says that I when as a parivrajaka, as a wandering monk, when I was going through the deserts of Rajasthan, I was thirsty. And to quench my thirst, I was in search of water. And then I suddenly saw a huge reservoir. Seeing the reservoir, I started proceeding towards it. And suddenly I saw it vanished. And then the thought came. And then the idea came that from my childhood, I have read about the Miraj. After reading the Miraj, I had an intellectual understanding of Miraj. And I thought I knew what Miraj is. But for the first time today, I realized, till now it was an intellectual knowledge. I realized what's the result of it. The next day, again, when I'm passing through the desert, as I am still within the domain of mind and senses, again, I see that huge reservoir. It's not that as I have realized the mirage yesterday, I won't see the projection of the uh, reservoir anymore. Again, I see it. But today, there's a big difference. Yesterday, I took it to be real and it was dragging me towards it. Today, it cannot drag me. It has fallen. Just, I know it's a mere projection. All the sense of tangibility, reality has fallen off. So it cannot drag me. So now you will understand for a realized soul, he, there cannot be the engagement with the senses anymore. If this world is a mere projection of the reality, it is not real. It is something which is appearing the, as truth because the truth is the, the real truth is a substratum on which it is being projected. So it is something apparent, not real. So how can you be lured, dragged by it? So that's why these are the qualities of a teacher. He should be avrijina, akamahata, srotriya. And of course, all those three entails, that the last but not the least, unless he's a brahmavid, he's a realized soul, who has not only studied the scriptures and known the essence of it, but also have went to the realization. Then only he can become avrijina. Then only we can become akamahata in the true sense. So these are the qualities of a teacher. When these are the qualities which are manifested, then we can be sure of the fact that he is a realized soul who has the capacity to instruct a qualified disciple. Who is a qualified disciple? It is not the curiosity mongerous. Suddenly, that reading the scriptures, the curiosity came and with a bunch of questions we go and to resolve our curiosity. No, it should be that the feeling that somehow this world is like a burning pyre in which I am being, I am burning. I have to escape it. That if someone is forcefully drowned in the water, the way he or she gasps for breath, do I really am gasping 
for getting established in the spiritual dimension of my existence. So if that yearning is there, then only I am uh, qualified to be a real disciple. Such a person, when he approaches the real teacher, then only it can result in realization. As in the Bhagavad Gita, in a, one of the slokas in the 18th chapter, the 67th sloka, indicates the characteristics of a disciple. What are the characteristics? In a negative way, it has been explained that idante na na tapaskaya na bhaktaya kadachana na chashusrushave vachyam na chamang yobhyasuyati that who doesn't have developed the willingness for tapas that spiritual life entails tapas I, because of my wrong belief and understanding I have developed certain obsessions though I know with the spiritual understanding I know that, that all the things which are dragging me is of no avail. They have no substance as such. But my past habit, past habit doesn't allow me to, re, to just simply come back, to simply detach myself from my old ways of life. So it needs tapas. To certain extent, at the beginning, you have to work against all those obsessions that entails in tapasya. The word tapas came from tap dhatu, which means heating. Just the way for any motion where there is a friction, there is generation of heat. How the, the, what friction speaks, speaks, speaks of? When you are moving in the forward direction, the friction is something which is restricting your motion, which is not allowing you to move forward. And this, rest, this restriction, this obstruction creates heat. So when you are working against obstruction, it as if creates heat. So that's why the tapa has been used for all tapas. Means working against. So you have to work against your old ways of life. So the one who has no inclination for tapasya, na bhaktaya, who is not devoted to the truths which has been spoken of in the scriptures. Na cha asustruve, he is not at all ready to hear the truths of the scriptures. And not only that, there are some that they not only they are indifferent, they are sometimes having inimical attitude. Whenever they see something, a, a person, a spiritual person, or some somewhere some discussion on the spiritual truth is going on, he, this person will have a tendency to harm them, to scandalize them. So if that is the attitude, we can never be a true disciple. So that's how we find, in short, it has been described that I have to have those yearning, proper yearning. I should have the willingness to go through all the hardships by uh, by what you say, this uh, internalizing the three P, which Swami Vivekananda used to speak of again and again, purity, patience, perseverance. I have to try to cleanse my mind. That speaks of the purity. It's not that easy. My mind will resort back to the old ways again and again. I should have patience. And not only patience, I have to persevere. Each and every failure, 
has to be again followed with again that enthusiasm to again try and try again. And that's how we will be gradually cleansing the mind and getting established in the spiritual truth, which we are going to be instructed about from the qualified teacher. So this speaks of that resorting to the Vedas. It's not that we are, as the absolute knowledge is transcending the Vedas, that doesn't mean that Vedas have no role to play. The Vedas have a role to play. I take hold them, take hold of them, but they are just the GPS. Just the way your destination is not the GPS, but the GPS takes you there. The scriptures are like the GPS, which takes you to the destination. So they do have a role to play in our life, though they transcend the GPS. At last, when you go to the real, when you go to your destination, now the GPS has no role to play. You have transcended that. Just as Buddha used to say, he's a fool who carries the, what you say, the boat on his shoulder after crossing the river. The boat serve purpose has been served. You no one carries the boat on his shoulder after crossing the river. So no one carries the raft on his shoulder after crossing the river. So scriptures are like the raft. Guru is like the raft, which helps us to go beyond the scriptures. Now you will find that this word has such a wonderful implication that tad, uh, this, what is this, this, this tad aksharam, what is athapara yaya tad aksharam adhigamyate. So after this, now the scripture will try to uh, describe the nature of that imperishable reality. It is not possible as uh, it is like something as Swami Vivekananda used to describe, that there are no words to describe that reality. It is something like the babbling of a small child. A small child that why the scripture again and again is trying to speak of something which cannot be spoken of. It is just like a small child who is yet to develop sufficient vocabulary. You have given him some food he likes very much. It's a delicacy. From his facial expression, the joy, everything you find that, that he has really enjoyed that delicacy, but he has no sufficient words. He's just babbling. So sometimes we find this, the scripture, when it comes back, the rishis, when he's coming back from their realization, just like the small child who lacks the vocabulary, they also don't find, they try their best with all sorts of words to express something which cannot be expressed. But all those babbling words are not meaningless. They help for us as the marker, as the pointer, by contemplating on which we can also go to that domain of realization. So let's go to the sixth mantra, which in which we find that the imperishable reality, the absolute reality, its nature, the scripture is trying its best to explain, to explain the higher knowledge. What is that? Yatat adreshyam agrahyam agotram avarnam achakshu srotram tat apanipadam nityam vibhum sarvagatam susukshvam tadavyayam yat bhuta yoni paripashyanti dhiraha. 
paripashyanti dhira the last phrase is important that what all has been spoken are mere abstract knowledge only when you realize what has been spoken then you become dhira the calm one the dhira is translated as wise but the etymological meaning of dhira is the calm one only the wise is the calm why he has gone beyond the dualities nothing can disturb him perturb him because he is established in his in the real knowledge in his in the real nature nothing can perturb him so that's why he is dhira so knowledge can make you dhira so as that real knowledge of the absolute reality can make you dhira so the wise is called the dhira they are equi- they are they have the same meaning if you are wise you are bound to be calm equipoised nothing is supposed to disbalance you nothing is going to deviate you from your realization so what are those things which one when one realizes that gets established in truth and nothing can disturb them that has been spoken of yat tat adrishyam that high knowledge is adrishyam that uh, in our upanishads there is some license the poetical license it should be actually adrishyam but we find here the word which is being indic- which has been used is adrishyam that which cannot be seen adrishya is beyond our this perception adrishyam so by adrishyam it denies that it cannot it is not cap- it is in no way all the organs of perception the gyanendriyas in no way can perceive it it is only speaking of drishya but in indirectly it is indicating you cannot see it you cannot hear it you cannot smell it you cannot test it you cannot touch it so by adrishyam all the organs of perception the gyanendriyas capacity to perceive it is denied agrahyam you cannot grasp it i can grasp something with the hand it speaks of the one of the karmendriyas hasta so by by saying that you cannot grasp it is actually again negating all the karmendriyas the all the organs of actions capacity to acquire it possess it it cannot what are the organs of action my with my hands i cannot grasp it with my legs i cannot walk to that truth just the way i see some uh, what you say that i am most probably uh, going in uh, going to have my food in some restaurant my gps takes the car there so i am walking from my car i am walking to the restaurant so the place of my my my, my destination i can walk down so here your legs cannot take there you cannot walk to that realization so that's why you will find this in bhagavad gita whenever the question of attaining the truth comes it will never say it will never use gam dhatu and say gamya it will say adhigamya you can never walk to that reality in space you can sit in one place now you have not realized after some time you may realize through your spiritual practice by calming down the mind so when you are moving to some place in time not in space that is adhigamana 
So here it indicates you cannot hold it, you cannot walk, you cannot go near it, you cannot use your legs. And what? That I cannot speak of it. In no way through speech you can explain it. So in that way, all the karmendriyas also are denied. That means with, with all the karmendriyas, I cannot grasp it. I cannot procure them by the organs of action. Agrayam. Agotram. The word gotra is very interesting. That what the word gotra means? Very interesting. How the word gotra came? Gotra means to categorize. What, what, to what, in, in Sanskrit you know that we say that to what gotra you belong. To which family lineage you belong. You know from where the word gotra came? In the olden days, when the cow was our, what you say, the financial status. It used to describe our financial status. How many cows you have. Because with that you could have agriculture, you have milk, even the fuel used to come from, come from the cow dung. So cow, everything for the cow, it has some financial, it has to sustain us. It has some financial implication. Now in the olden days, in the village, the safety of the cow was something, a big challenge. Because the forest, the villages were by the side of the forest. Even if we find nowadays that the villages which are by the side of the forest, suddenly at night the tiger came out and has taken away all the cattle, has just devoured the cattle. So in the olden days, that was a big challenge. So what they used to do, that each village will have a particular place where all will keep their cattle and there will be someone as a security guard there. So that at night, if any predators come, they can take care of it. They can drive it away. They can fight against it. So now each village came to be known by that Goshala. That Goshala belongs to that village. So now you will understand how the word Gotra came. So anyone belonging to that village, that and the villages were actually an extended family. Because after all, agriculture and other things spoke of this extended family where your manual work, your labor is the thing on that particular land which entails in your financial prosperity. So all has to be together. Uh, now it is just the way uh, the, 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 the system of the society is such that the question of living together doesn't apply. We may, got, we may get some job anywhere. But in those days, the land was the property. All have to cultivate that. Also, all have to be together. All the family that we extend, that extended family, having a big piece of land or farming, enter their economic, uh, of this what you say, this flourishing. They used to flourish. They speak of their prosperity. So the villages were the extended family, and that village was again identified with that the shade in which all the cows that your the, the XYZ, everyone's cow is there, all taken care of together. That was the identity. So from there, the word Gotra came. So that lineage followed and the Gotra came. So what it speaks of, it speaks of the distinction that we as a, this, uh, what is this phenomenal being 
have certain unique attributes which distinguishes me from others. And that's why we all can be distinguished as gotras, classes, categories. There are no attributes for the absolute self. It is beyond all attributes. So naturally, if you have no attributes, there is no uniqueness, there is no attributes. How can you distinguish it from others? So as it is the ultimate cause, which is beyond all attributes, so it is a gotram. So each and every word you'll find, there's a, which needs cogitation, that's before that manana, that will as if give you an intellectual understanding of the truth. Avarnam. So why it is a gotram, it has no attributes. All the And this avarnam speaks of the reason that why it is beyond attributes, because all the attributes are something which is superimposed. They're the projections of the mind. When the scripture says that we cannot deny the existence, existence is, that easiness I cannot deny, the amness I cannot deny. All the attributes can be denied. If I remove all the attributes, at last the amness and easiness is the absolute reality. These are the words we hear, but sometimes we don't comprehend its real meaning. What's its real meaning? Just say, when I see that example, we give again and again, a red flower. As we told so many times, that how that redness is the flower red? No. A particular wavelength of light which is reflected by the flower. All other wavelengths have been absorbed. A particular wavelength is reflected. That reflected wavelength of light, when it touches your eye, when it touches your retina, it gets converted into the optical nervous current, which reaches, which reaches your brain. And the so-called color perception center is not perceiving the color. It is just a nervous impulse, a particular type of optical nervous impulse, which when strikes the perception center in your brain, the color is emanated. It is emanated, it is projected, and now it goes and engulfs the flower. It encapsulates the flower, giving you a sensation it is red. So the redness is an attribute which is a creation of the mind. Its texture, that also is an attribute which is the projection of the mind. Its smell is an attribute which is the projection of the mind. So all these are projection of the mind. Then is all, then the flower, is the flower not there at all? Is everything an imagination? Is the world, is it just a mere imagination of the mind? So here again, the Vedanta says, no, it cannot be. There is something which I can never know. There is something which I can never know. Whenever I try to know, the mind will be projecting its color, sound, sight. This, all these are comes because of the interaction of that easiness. The thing which is there, that interacts with my mind to create all these attributes. But the thing in itself is not having any of these attributes. They are the projection of the mind. But can I deny that there is something? No. So these easiness speaks of the reality, which can never be denied, which is a varnam, means beyond attributes. 
Why that's why this all the attributes of the projection of the mind. It there is something as as the sat. The sat I can never deny. The entire existence is there, but what it is I can never know through my mind and senses. It is just like trying to see the color of a flower by wearing a tainted glass. The way you can never see. So our senses are tainting the amness to create all those attributes. But that thing is beyond all the attributes. So that's why it is avarnam. So just just as we told that these are all intellectual convictions, but these help us to understand to certain extent that reality which can be realized only if we can go beyond the mind by stopping our mind by stopping the vrittis of the mind then it can be just a face to face realization then the first line was actually we find that the absolute reality was described by negation that it is adrishyam agrahyam agotram avarnam achakshusrotram that with the eyes you cannot see, with the ears you cannot hear. Tat apani padam. It has no hands, it has no feet. So all the negations, through all the negations, we were trying to understand that absolute reality. The first line. The, six, the second line will be giving all the positive epithets of that absolute reality. After negating what it is not, what it is saying, it is nityam, vibhum, sarvagatam, and then the Pariparshyanti Dhira, of course, we described at the very beginning that who knows the self as such, not intellectually, but through the realization, he has got established in that higher knowledge. And he is the Dhira. It speaks of the result. No one in this world can be motivated to do anything. Even a fool cannot be motivated to do anything unless you know the purpose. So the Upanishad, by using the word dhira, is speaking of the purpose. That why should I know that absolute reality? It will make me dhira, equipoised. Nothing can disturb me. The happenings of the life will go on, but I will be just like the witness, detached from them, not identified with them, and just suffering. Or sometimes I'm enjoying, sometimes suffering, like a pitiable creature. I'm as if under the whims of nature, sometimes happy, sometimes dejected. So you come out from that state where you are being as if a prey of the nature. Now you become the master of the nature by just observe the way the nature is working and nothing can disturb you. And that's how this speaks of that implication. So otherwise the scriptures have no meaning that unless I know what it is going to entail result, what's the benefit I'm going to get from studying it and after studying by practicing it, what's the benefit I'm going to get from it? It will never motivate in any way. It has no use. That's why we will find directly and indirectly the scripture is speaking of the result that ensues from that knowledge. So Paripashyanti, one who knows that, he has not said Pashyanti. Paripashyanti. Pashyanti means to see by your senses. That's the way I see the objects is Pashyanti. To see with your senses, mind and senses. Paripashyanti. To realize something which is which has transcended the senses, which is 
beyond the senses, which is para, transcends the senses. Thus, that speaks of paripashyanti. That is, in Sanskrit, these, what you say, these upasargas, there's a, these, these are the very, very important, that just totally changes the meaning. That, that simple, that pari will change the meaning. It's not something perceived to the senses. It has to be realized by transcending the mind and senses. And then only you can become dhira. The second line, the positive epithets, what are the nityam? That as we told, that it is something which is a trikal avadhita satya. It was, it is, it will be. Nothing can destroy it. Then it is speaking of vibhum. You know that the absolute reality which is beyond perception. After saying that, if I have to have an indication of it, then only it has to be through tatastha lakshana. In Sanskrit, these words are very, very interesting. Tatastha. What does tatastha means? That suppose there is a long tree by the side of a river. The river is not visible from your house. Some guest came to your house and you say, the river is nearby. And the guest says, where? I don't see it. And then you point out to the tall tree. Do you see the tall tree? Yeah. It's just by the side, it's just by the side of it. If this tree is just on the shore of that river. So tatastha, by seeing the tree, the thing which you cannot see can be inferred. So after saying with all the negation that it is something beyond the senses, then how can I know it? Through the tatastha lakshana. That what all you see in this world, all these multiform things, anything with name and form, starting from uh, this, this, from the cosmic intelligence, the Brahma, to the blade of gra- grass, some asthanu Brahma pariyantam, from the smallest of the smallest thing to the highest evolute of the nature. Everything, all these are multiformed things. Having as they have some name, they have some form. So these are all the projection of that, the thing which cannot be seen. So by seeing this world, this projection, this is the tatastha, this is the thing which is on the shore of it. By seeing this, you can infer. So this vibhu gives the tatastha lakshana. Sarvagata, after saying vibhu, all the things which are formed is a projection of that. Then you may find, you may feel that it has actually transformed. Just the way there was a lump of soil, with that I make various uh, clay models. Some pot and models I make. So when I keep the clay models, what will happen? There will be space between the models. So when there is a transformation, then I can only describe the objects. But what about the space from where that space came? So here this wonderful idea, these words are so indicative. After saying Vibhum, he's saying Sarvagatam. It's not only that what you see is a projection of that. It is actually all pervasive. Even the space which is within all those multifarious things, that is also pervaded by that absolute reality. The space without, that is also pervaded by the absolute reality. So this speaks of not parinama. It speaks of adhyasa. That something is being 
superimposed upon something. Just the way when I see a snake on a rope, the snake is being pervaded by the rope. If you remove the rope, can you see the snake? No, it's gone. So the entire snake is actually pervaded by the rope. As long as the rope is there, you delude it to be a snake. You get deluded it and see it as a snake. But you remove the rope, the snake is also not there. So this will give you an explanation of that Sarvagata. It's all pervading. So this entire creation is a projection, not mere transformation. Something by delusion, the thing which, which has not changed at all. It is a Parinami. It is as it is. But because of ignorance, I'm seeing it as Vibhu, as this world of name and form. So the Sarvagata speaks of the projection. This uh, of the absolute reality as the world. There is no real transformation. So Shukshman, extremely subtle. So when I say that in the space, there is nothing, who is saying that it is nothing? That space is Shukshma. Space is something which is the subtlest thing which we can perceive. In this world, world what is Shukshma? The thing which, which evades our uh, understanding our senses, that I perceive nothing. Yeah, here is something, but here it is nothing. It is space. So space is shukshma. Now they say the self is subtler than the subtlest. It is even subtler than the akasha. Why? The one who is experiencing nothing, it is the same experiencer who experiences nothing, is experiencing something. When I say here is a pot, who is experiencing? It is me who is experiencing the pot. When I say there is nothing, it is just space. Who is experiencing? Again, it is me. So the experiencer, the same experiencer who experienced this vibhu, the world of name and form, is also experiencing that there is no thing, nothing. This experiencer who experiences both the world of name and form as well as the so-called nothingness of space, is the subtler than the subtlest, is the sushukshma. It is something which cannot be mutated. In another way we can say, the akasha, which is a subtle thing, it, it can be mutated. From that they say in the Sankhya philosophy, it is a prana whose spandana on akasha has created this world of name and form. So akasha is actually not nothing. It is the uh, primordial matter which interacts with prana, with energy to create this universe. So the akasha, though being subtle, can be mutated. It, it can take the form of this entire universe. But that reality, which is beyond akasha, is beyond all mutations. So that's why it is subtler than the subtlest. On it, everything is projected, but it in no way gets affected by the, all the things which has been projected. They can in no way affect the absolute reality. Just the way the snake which you see on the rope can in no way bite the rope. The water as a mirage which you see when you're traveling through the desert doesn't have the capacity to drench even a single sand particle of the desert. Such a huge reservoir you see. It doesn't have the capacity. So this is Sushukshma the one which is in no way affected 
by all the things which has been projected it is beyond that so that's why this it is called something which is shukshma is extremely tat avyayam bhuta yonin so this is bhuta yoni means bhuta means that which is born and yoni means the cause of everything that is born that is avyaya the one which has never been born the absolute reality is never born it is we are all as a uh, psychophysical entity we are born at certain point of time that's why we are all bhuta bhuta means that which is born but the bhuta yoni the cause of all the things which have which is born anything which is born is bound to die but which is not born which is which was there eternal there is no death for it is it is a parinami it is a vyaya so that's what is meant by tadavyaya yat bhuta yonin this needs a bit more explanation so we will take this last part of this shloka this mantra again in the next class before we proceed to the next mantra which again is a very interesting mantra the upanishad is a mundaka upanishad is actually a, a, a something very precise where all the subtle ideas of vedanta are in one place have been like gita it has been garlanded so that's why this upanishad is quite interesting quite important because it gives us the essence of the this vedanta uh, just in the in this in the scope of this few verses which we find in this upanishad so that's why this study is so important we will come to the next shloka to find that how that uh, absolute reality has been described in some definite terms uh, to give us a still more clear understanding of what that absolute reality is so we will again take up it in the next class so with this we stop our discussion today thank you all namaskars